Why don't we pray? What is it that gets in the way? What is it that keeps us from praying? Maybe for some of us, we think God can't be bothered with our prayers. He's got better things to do. Maybe he is mad at us about something. Maybe he just is being struck, being an obstinate God today. Why is it that we don't pray? Sometimes people think, well, I'm going to ask for it, and he's not going to give me what I want, so I might as well just go get it and not ask him. Others think, well, maybe it's not that important, or maybe I have too much red in my ledger, and I need to uh, apologize for certain things in order to convince him to answer my prayers. See, for many of us, we view prayer not much different than going and sitting on Santa Claus's lap. And today, Jesus is going to correct that. He's going he's to show us what true prayer is. But even more than that, he's going to show us who it is we pray to, which is way more important than how we pray. So this is not a sermon about, hey, you should all pray more, or here's the magic words to say. Instead, the goal of today's sermon is to introduce you to the Lord, the Heavenly Father, who has good gifts for each and every one of us. See, so far we are in the Sermon on the Mount. We are in chapter 7 of Matthew. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're in chapter 7, verse 7. We'll read it here in just a moment. So we're getting close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've got about three more sermons after today to finish it up. And one thing we've seen on the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is laying out a list of things, a description of kingdom citizens, those members of his family, his adopted family, that he says, this is what they're like. Many of us look at this as a to-do list, as if I have to do these certain things in order to earn God's affection. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. Instead, Jesus is saying, this is what my kingdom looks like. It's coming. You are the glimpse that the world gets of my coming kingdom. Remember, he talked about how we were on a city on a hill or a light on a lampstand to shine and show out to the world. Jesus is saying, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, this is what you're like, not this is what you must be in order to be a citizen of the kingdom. So last week, Ross took us through the first six verses of chapter seven. And if we remember, these are some very famous verses about judging and not judging, discerning and not discerning. We saw the speck in your brother's eye and the log in your own eye. And, and we look at this and we go, how the heck am I supposed to do all this? Ross did a great job of showing us all the different things that this ver these verses meant and explaining them to us. How am I going to judge without judging? How am I going to discern but discern rightly? And that's not even going farther back into chapter 6 where we have to be pure and we have to be holy, and we have to pursue righteousness. All of these things seem too great for me to do, and you as well. I mean, can we be honest? If we look at chapter two, the judge, chapter seven, verse two, the judgment with pronounced will be judged. You will be judged as seriously as you judge someone else. If that's not terrifying to you, go back and reread it. Because that's scary to think about, that if I'm judging somebody else, that's how I'm going to be judged. 
If we're honest, this Sermon on the Mount, the name gets it from the idea that Jesus was probably on a mountain somewhere in Galilee on a hill, because there were not real mountains there, not like what we have here. There's no snow on the top. It's a little hill, and Jesus is speaking from the hill. But if we're honest with ourselves, these, th- this Sermon on the Mount doesn't look like a little hill. It looks like the top of the Himalayas. And who can get that high? Who can hit all of these? I mean, look at what Jesus says. He says, you must have surpassing righteousness. You must have humility. You must have sincerity. You must have purity. You must have love. And you got to do them all. And you got to do them all perfectly. I can't do one of those. Not to mention perfectly and definitely not all of them. So who is it that can reach all of this? Who is it that can hit these standards that Jesus has put out there? See, we need help. We need to be cleaned. For many scholars, they they look at this, this Sermon on the Mount and they come to this point and they go, this doesn't fit. It doesn't flow. Jesus is going along and he's talking about judgment and discerning and then he goes right into prayer but then goes right back to the people that will choose the narrow and the straight versus the wide, and that goes back and forth between who will be in the kingdom. Why does he throw this prayer right in the middle? And the answer is, Jesus is showing us how to enter into the kingdom, how to tap into the strength and the power that is in the kingdom. Because the first thing we must do is we must be humble. We must recognize we can't do this. We must recognize that I cannot meet God's standard. And praise be to God, through Christ, I can meet that standard because Christ did. So the first thing we do is we recognize our need. We recognize we cannot match up. And once we see that, we know, hey, guess what? God's going to meet that need for me. The second thing we recognize is that God is our Father. Not everybody's Father, but He's ours if we're adopted in Christ. See, the Bible's very clear about it. Everybody is created by God. But not everybody is God's children. God's children are only those who are adopted through the blood of Christ. And the best part about it is the third thing we must understand, we must remember, is that this is a good God. He never makes mistakes. He gives us good things. And so today, we first come and we say, I cannot meet the requirements that Jesus is laying out. But praise be to God, he did, and I am grafted into this family. I'm adopted into this family where the God, the Father, is good, and he's generous, and he promises to give us good things. So this is the fourth time Jesus has dealt with prayer. The first three times were all how-tos or how-not-to and and dealing with the motivations. And we saw that with the Lord's Prayer when he says, don't think that your many words are going to do it. Don't think that people hearing you is going to do it, but speak to your Lord. Talk to your Lord. Now, he's giving us a glimpse into the strength that is available to us, the power that we can tap into. So let's read it here. Starting in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks and the one who receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. 
So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at, as I get this water bottle to stay, now we're going to look at this, this, kind of this whole section. So I've just read it to you. The key word here is the word give. It's repeated five different times, all linking back to verse six and kind of tying through there, this idea of God is giving us something. God the Father wants to give us something. This passage is one of the most encouraging and hope-giving passages in the entire Sermon on the Mount, if not the entire New Testament. It says, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, you can go straight to God. You can be invited to have a conversation with God and ask him for what you need with confidence. Not because he's omnipresent, omnipotent, but because he's your father who also happens to be omnipotent and omnipresent. All we need to do is ask, seek, or knock to get God's full attention. Now, that's encouraging that we can have God's full attention, but that's not what Jesus is going for here. Jesus is saying, listen, the main point is that God will respond perfectly. He will respond to your asking, your seeking, and your knocking because he is a perfect God. So here's our big idea. Kingdom citizens, Understand that God is their loving Father who gives good gifts. Kingdom citizens, that may be the, the people that are adopted into God's family. Understand that God is their loving Father and he will give good gifts. See, when we pause to consider who God is, we remember that he is infinitely strong and he does all that he pleases. He's infinitely righteous and he'll only do what's right. He's infinitely good, which means he does things perfectly good. He's infinitely wise, meaning he knows what is right and what is good. And he's infinitely loving, which means he takes all of those together and only gives us good gifts. When you pause to consider this, then the lavish invitations of this God to ask him for good things with the promise that he will give them is unimaginably wonderful, that this God will give us things. So don't take my word for it. Let me show you. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now, the, the translators, when they translated this into English, just laid it right up there for three points. And the cool part about the three points is it's ask, seek, and knock. What does the first letter of each of those words spell? Ask. Man, talk about, you can make three points. I mean, you're, that's total Baptist preacher right there, right? You got your three points, A for ask, S for seek, and K, and then, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but all three of these are what are called imperatives or commands. They are, this is what you should do. And in the Greek, they're worded in such a way that they are to continue doing. So a, a more accurate translation would be ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. See, we started with, we have a need. We are, we, we are lacking something. And so we go to God and we say, I need this. I, I need this, Lord. Help me. See, there's an emphasis on persistence here. To be persistent. Go, keep going to God. Keep going to God. Keep going to God. And he will give you the good things. Now, I need to make sure you understand something that I did not say right there. What I did not say was, you were not persistent enough, and so that's why you didn't get it. That's not what Jesus is saying here. So if you prayed for something, and you prayed years and years and years, and you didn't get it, I'm not standing up here, and neither is Jesus saying, well, if you'd have prayed one more time, God would have totally done it. 
See, that's not the point. See, that, that's, again, that's, that's trying to make this into a formula when it's all about a father. It's not a formula. It's about the father. Because see, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean we walk around all day and we're mumbling prayers the whole time and, and, and all that. It just means there's never a part of your life where there's a season where you stop praying. This persistent, constant communication between you and the Father. It's like a relationship with a spouse. You're constantly communicating. You, you can't live in the same house and not communicate each day, if not many, many times a day. It's the same relationship, but God wants it even more so. He wants us to continually ask, to continually seek, and to continually knock. See, prayer is powerful. It puts our lack of power in touch with God's power. It puts our need in touch with his supply. It takes our poverty and connects it to his great riches. The Lord is powerful. And it's really tempting because so much of the time, people that talk the way I'm talking today about tapping into God's power, it's this name it and claim it kind of thing where it's, well, if you pray it in God's name, he's got to give it to you. And I'm going to say that most of the people that say things like that are hucksters and they just want your money. That's not what Jesus is saying here. And they got this little kernel of truth is that God is powerful and he has the power to do all the good things that you need. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. And so even as I'm, I'm teaching this and as I was studying this, I'm like, how do I balance this out without sounding like you're going to have all your dreams come true? Because ultimately, this is not a formula where I do this and this, God has to do this. Instead, it's a, I'm getting to know my Father, and that's the relationship piece of it. And that's what this is about. Because prayer is a burning pursuit of God. It's knocking at the throne room. It's seeking for God. It's asking him. It's divinely empowered response to God's promise. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This is the answer to that promise. Charles Spurgeon says, faith asks, hope seeks, love knocks. These three things are listed there so that we know how to approach the Lord. Some people will say, well, this is like a, a ramping up of how insistent we are with God. So first we ask, hey God, could I have this? And then we seek, and that's like going over and tugging on his sleeve, and then knocking, it's like turn his head to you. You know, your kids have done that, right? Where they turn your head and say, dad, listen to me. And they see it like this, like it's this ramping up of, I'm going to really show God I mean it. And so I start with asking, then seeking, and then knocking. But that's not what this is about. This is not about convincing God to listen to us. As a matter of fact, these three words actually have spatial kind of connotations to them. Let me show you. We ask when God is near. Sometimes God feels near to us, doesn't he? He feels close by. If I'm in the room with somebody, I can ask them a question. Next is the word seek. Seek means to go and look for them. If I'm in the room and there's nobody there, I can't ask them a question, so I have to go and what? Seek them. I have to go and find them. Sometimes the Lord feels distant from us. And the ironic thing is, is he hasn't moved, it's usually us. And so we need to go and seek him. And then third, sometimes there is something in the way between me and the Lord. Could it be a shut door? Could it be some other impediment? Whatever it is, I am going to bang on it to say, Lord, move this. Let me come to you. 
These three, ask, seek, and knock, are all about our relationship to the Lord and where we are with him at this very moment. And Jesus' point is, there is nowhere you can go where you cannot, as a child of God, call out to the Lord. He will hear you. Whether it's you're close to him, whether you gotta go and find him, or whether there's something insurmountable in front of you, he is there with you. So what is the result of this asking and seeking and knocking? Verse eight, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Now just like we saw last week with the whole judge not passages, people misuse this verse. And they take it out of context. The context here is key. It's not saying every single person who asks anything of God is going to get their prayers answered. Can you imagine what that would look like? We'd have about 400,000 lottery winners in Portland, Oregon. We would have many, many people who have lost hundreds of pounds on the Krispy Kreme diet. We would have all sorts of things. I mean, just think about it. Sporting events would never end. Because this team prayed to win and that team prayed to win and they go on for eternity. God's mercy would be that it would end in a tie. So it cannot be that this is talking about everybody. Instead, based on the context, this is talking about God's children, those kingdom citizens we've already talked about. It is God's children who can come to the Lord and receive and seek and find and knock and it'll be opened. This is the promise of the Lord. Now notice there's nothing at all in here about what they're asking or seeking or finding. None of it's there. The Lord leaves it totally open-ended. Because here's the thing. God's power is just a breath away. All we must do is ask. And what's crazy about it is that in our Western world, this is the last thing we do. People don't go to prayer first. It's hard to remember. The first thing we should do is go to God, not the last thing, last resort. Oh, we tried all these other things. Even genuine Christians in the West are not known for their prayer. One author writes, everyone loves hustle and bustle and smooth organizations and powerful institutions, human self-confidence and human achievement, new opinions and novel schemes, and the church of Christ has conformed so thoroughly to this environment that it's difficult to tell the pagans from the Christians. Our low spiritual ebb is directly traceable to the flickering feebleness of our prayers. James saw this, James 4 you do not have because you do not ask, and when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend them on what you get on your spend on what you get on your pleasure. Pleasure. See, the Lord is, 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 is letting us know in this passage that you will receive, but you must simply ask, seek, and knock. Each of those words in the Greek is one word. It's a simple word. It is just simply saying, simply ask me. Jesus opens these doors and says, come to the Father. Come see what he can do. I mean, but remember where we've been. Don't judge people except for when you're to judge people. Don't share, share the gospel until you're not supposed to share the gospel. And, and it seems like there's this back and forth and we, we, we need an answer to our prayers. But isn't it true that sometimes we don't get the answer we want? The Apostle Paul, if you remember, had a thorn in the flesh. What that is, we don't know said he asked the Lord three times to remove it. And the Lord said, nope, my strength is sufficient for you. You're gonna keep that thorn. 
So how do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of these verses that we've been looking at? Jesus is without reservation saying, ask me. He said it throughout the Bible, Matthew 21, 22. Whatever you ask in my name, you will receive. Mark eleven twenty four. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it and it will be yours. John 14, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. If you ask me anything, I will do it. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. And over and over and over again, we see this. Ask, 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 and you will get it. Now, it's easy for us to look at that and go, we focus on the back end, not the front end. The one thing that all of these verses have in common is every single one of them says, ask me. Talk to me about it. And then on the back end, it does say, I will give you what you need. I will give you the thing. How pleased is God that we would pray and ask him. See, prayer gives expression to our need. Remember, I started with, we must recognize we need something before we ask for it. It's a, it's a reminder to take the things we need to the Lord. Prayer is not to change God's mind, but to give glory to him. And we're to pray believingly, but at the same time, the thing that gets in the way is sometimes we don't get what we ask for. And if we're being honest, which we are, and we're gonna continue to be, that's hard when it comes to prayer. Praying for healing, and there isn't any. Praying for a spouse, and you're not married. Praying for a child, Praying for a child to come back. Praying for many, many things where you go, Lord, you promised. Delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 37, 4, and I will give you the desires of your heart. Lord, why am I not getting what I desire? Why am I not getting these things? What's the answer to this? Well, some of these answers we're gonna have to wait for heaven. But I'm gonna do my best with what I've got here and now. The first thing we must recognize about prayers that don't get answered is that we are in good company. Not only did the Apostle Paul have prayers that didn't get answered, but so did Jesus. Remember when Jesus is in the garden? He prays out to the Father and he says, Father, if possible, let this cup be removed from me. He was talking about the soon-to-be sacrifice of his body, his bleeding out on the cross. And God the Father says, nope. It's better that you do this than that you don't. So that's one. We are in good company. Even Jesus did not get his prayers answered with a yes. Secondly, we need to recognize that in the broader context of where we've been already, remember Jesus has already talked three different times about prayer coming up to this point. And he's saying, listen, God's not gonna be your genie in the bottle. You don't get to rub the lamp and he gives you your three wishes. This is not a mindless ritual. Remember, he says, seek first, before you ask, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, the promise is not unconditional. It's not, I'll give you whatever you want, just, just ask me, and you get it. Instead, it's, ask me, and because I'm a good father, and because I'm a wise father, I will give you what you actually need at this moment, right here and right now. I'm not gonna give you what you think you need. And so he says, I will give you the good gifts because I am your loving Father. But keep asking me, keep seeking me, keep knocking. 
The third thing we need to think about when it comes to this teaching is that it's a really good thing that God does not give us what we ask for sometimes. I think back about my life, and I'm sure many of you can as well. Think back of your life and think about things you prayed for when you were a child, when you were young, immature in the faith. Maybe you prayed that a relationship would end a certain way. Maybe you prayed for a certain type of job. Maybe you prayed for a certain type of socioeconomic or something along those lines. And now, through the wisdom that comes only with age, only with experience, you look back and go, oh man, Lord, thank you for not answering that. Martin Lloyd-Jones was very clear on this. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you know his story, he had been a doctor and then became a pastor. Early in his life, he was pursuing all sorts of things and thought that it was what the Lord had for him and actually prayed for it. And this is what he said. He said, I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me things which I asked for and that he shut certain doors in my face. We see the same thing happening with, with Jesus in Mark 10. I'd read one of the verses earlier, but Jesus is saying, pray and ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. So what do, what do John and James do? They go, hey, Jesus, come here. And they pull Jesus aside and they say, you said you'd give us whatever we want. We have some requests. Jesus is like, all right, let me hear them. James and John go, we want to sit at your right and your left in heaven. And Jesus goes, you don't know what you're asking. And so that's going to be a no. And see, that, that we need to get our minds wrapped around that, that the Lord sometimes does not give us what we think we want because it's not what we need. I mean, like I said before, imagine if we got all the things that we asked for. We must remember God is smarter than us, God is wiser than us, and God is good. Prayer cannot be a transaction. This is Jesus' real sub-point underneath all of the main point, is that it, it, it's, it's not a transaction. It's not a do this and you get that. It's a relationship, not about the results. God is not a cosmic vending machine. It's not how he operates. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to come to him and tell him what we want, what we need. He wants us to ask and seek and knock. So there are other things that sometimes kind of float to the top when we're thinking about prayer. Some people will say, well, isn't it offensive to ask God for stuff? I mean, it's like I'm distracting him. Shouldn't he be out like doing something else in the universe or, or, or with people that are starving? So why should I take my little teeny prayer request to him? But Jesus is saying, it's okay to ask. It's okay to take him. There is not a single insignificant prayer request that our Father doesn't want to hear. It's the same thing. It should be the same thing with parents and kids to this day. When a child has something they want to share, the parents should stop everything and listen. And I'm a terrible parent because I don't do that all the time. I don't do that some of the time. But that's what we should be, and that's what our God is like. Some other people will say, well, you know, praying is just trying to convince God or inform God of what's going on. And the answer here is, is that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is not about trying to persuade God. It's about trying to persuade ourselves to submit to God. Because the first thing we have to recognize is we're not God, and we need some help. We cannot do this on our own. And so we take it to the Lord, and we ask, and we seek, and we knock. See, our Heavenly Father does not spoil His children. 
He does not shower us with gifts when we don't want them or need them. Instead, he was ready and waiting for us to humbly come to him and go, Dad, I need help. Heavenly Father, I need help. And that's what he wants. The third thing, and this is one that has been around for thousands of years, is that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. There are plenty of non-Christian people that today are living their dreams, that today will not go without, and they have not even a iota of a care to ask the Lord for them. People all over the world are getting stuff. So we must distinguish between God's gifts as our creator and God's gifts as our father. The creator gifts are the ones that he gives it to everybody. Every single person on earth gets to use oxygen. They get to have rain. Here in Oregon, we get way more than we want. But we, we, we get the rain, we get the food. Things taste good for the non-believers as well as the believers. Those are God's good creation gifts. But God's redemption gifts, the things like salvation and justification and forgiveness and redemption, those are only given to his children. These are the good things that are promised here. Do we even need to pray for our material possessions? Absolutely. Remember he says, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. He wants to hear that we need, and he wants us to say, Lord, it's you that gives this to me. Because the pagans don't get that. When it rains, they just are mad at the weathermen. But when we get the rain, we know this is a gift from the Lord. In Luke eleven thirteen, 13, which is a parallel passage to this Matthew passage, Luke says, then you who are evil know how to give good gifts. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so this entirety of these gifts is a spiritual gift. He wants to give you spiritual gifts. Sometimes it includes physical provision above and beyond what you need, but it always includes spiritual gifts. This God, this Father, gives us good gifts. Remember, it's not a formula, it's a father. See, up to this point, the Sermon on the Mount is like something we should attempt, and we should really try to meet this standard. Some of us think by, by attempting it, we'll, we'll get good in good with God, and then maybe our prayers will be heard. Jesus has nothing good to say about that. Instead, he says, you can hear because of me. You can hear because, he can hear because you are his kid. This is not a, you can do it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's, you can't do it, but God the Father will give you the power to do it. There is no spiritual progress to be made in our lives apart from God's grace. There's nothing more crucial than to ask God to extend his grace into us so we can do what we are required to do. Now Jesus explains this. Jesus is a great teacher. Instead of coming along and going, hey, just trust me, here's my thought, he gives us a picture. He gives us a word picture. He does this throughout the Bible with parables. And right here, he does it with a little analogy. And it goes like this, verse nine. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Now this is one terrible practical joke. You go and try to grab a stone, it looks like a loaf of bread, and you bite into it and say goodbye to your teeth. I know a good dentist. See, Satan tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread, and these parents have reversed it, and they're, they're pretending that the stone is bread. And our response should be, I would never do that, of course not, that's terrible. And the, the second one is even worse, handing them a potentially dangerous snake 
and saying, ooh, look, it's a fish. Later on in Luke 11, Luke also says, well, it's like saying, kid asks for an egg and you give him a scorpion. So Jesus' point here is, that's a bad parent. That's a terrible parent. And then verse 11, he says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The point here is not that the parents are willing to give. It's that the parents are willing to give good gifts, even though they themselves are evil. You're like, well, those parents are evil. I don't want anything to do with them. But what he's saying here is that our default is evil. Our default is self-centered, selfishness, not God-centered. We are tainted by sin. It corrupts everything, including how we parent. And what Jesus is saying is, you as parents who are fallen can give good gifts to your kid. You want the best things for your kids. And God is a perfect father, so when he gives gifts, they are infinitely greater than the ones you meek, sinful humans can give. So why not ask him for those gifts? Why not ask him for those? This is Jesus' argument. He's saying this is a, the, the father-child relationship is a special one. And if it's so special with us mere humans, how much greater is it with our heavenly father? You can give kids what they need, bread and fish. Yes, even we can do that. Then God can do even better. We have to get this. We have to get that God gives better gifts than we do. But there's more to it than this. The point of this discussion on us being evil has more depth to it. Say that, that I'm, I go home today and one of my children comes up and asks me over and over and over and over and over again for something. They would never do that, right? Okay. Over and over, even though I've already given that to them in the past, my response and I'm sorry, you've already know this, but your pastor is a sinner. My response would not be, oh, ask me again, yay. It would be, stop, I already gave you stuff. Look at what I already gave you. Why are you asking me for more? And right there, I've just shown you that I am evil. I am a sinner. And God the Father is not like that. Praise the Lord, he's not like that. He says, keep coming, bring it, let's go. I want to hear it more and more. Ask and keep asking infinite. He wants that relationship. He's not going to go, ugh, you again? Didn't I already hear this request? No, he wants to hear your request. The correct version of God, the correct vision of God and ourselves would lead to a completely different way of prayer. A completely different way. He's not begrudging. He's not needing sweet talking. He's not going to get annoyed. He doesn't play favorites. Remember it said everyone who asked. It's not the best of y'all that get God's attention and the rest of us are out of luck. All of us get his attention if we're the Lord's children. Ask, seek, knock. So why is it that God gives us any answers at all? I mean, if, if, if what Jesus said is true, you being evil, why does God listen to anything we pray for anyways? And ultimately, it comes down to one thing, and that's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the cross is our foundational thing. It's the reason why we can pray. 
Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. See, we must get our minds wrapped around. The reason we can approach God at all is because of Jesus Christ. When God sees us, he doesn't see us with all of our blemishes, all of our sin. He sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ and his perfect life on our behalf. And this is going to recalibrate how we pray. Just as faith is born through the gospel, through the gospel our hearts are trained to call on God's name. We pray not because of our good works, not because of our good looks, not because of our good resolves, but we pray because of how good Christ is. The death of Jesus is the foundation by which we pray. That is why we finish in Jesus' name. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name because Jesus paved the way for us to have that relationship. And this is why this is not a blanket promise to give us everything that we want. When your children ask for more money, more candy, more free time, more video games, what do you say? If you truly love them, sometimes it's gonna be no. Not because you hate them, not because of anything else, but because to be good, you have to know what's best. And God's no is actually a yes many, many times. Charles Spurgeon writes this. It's a long quote, but it's just too good to not, not share with you guys. He says, our heavenly Father will correct our prayers and give us not what we ignorantly seek, but what we really need. The promise to give what we ask is here explained and set in its true light. This is a gracious correction of the folly which would read the Lord's words in the most literal sense and make us dream that every whim of ours had only to be put on the dress of prayer in order to be realized. And I love this next part. Our prayers go to heaven in a revised version. It would be terrible if God always gave us all we asked for. Our heavenly Father knows how to give far better than we know how to ask. And our Lord desires to have that relationship with us. So what are these good things? What are the good things that God is telling us? The good things are every single promise in Scripture. Every single promise is yes in Christ Jesus in Scripture for us if we're in Christ. So the way we look at the future, the way we look forward is we go and we say, what does Scripture say are the good things? And I am going to ask the Lord for those. If we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then the word of God says we will have all these things added to you. So we come to Christ, we come to God as children of God because of Christ. We have the Father's ear because we are his adopted children. We're not strangers, we're not usurpers, we are adopted in. And praise be to God, he doesn't treat us as a black sheep of the family, he treats us like the prince, the son, the king. And when we are covered in Christ's blood, we are a part of his family. So what do we do with this? Well, got a couple of quick suggestions. First thing we do, take an honest look at your life. Where are you lacking in something spiritually? Where are you lacking? Put it on your prayer list and then pray and ask the Lord to give you that. These promises in the Bible are for us to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Where are you lacking? What are you lacking? Take it to the Lord. And then have confidence that God the Father will give them to you. 
for the year 2022, we are doing what's called a kingdom initiative here at New Life. And what this is, is it's a, a daily reminder. Sometimes it's about prayer, sometimes it's about all sorts of different things. This is not a way to get you to tithe or get your money or anything like that, but what it simply is, is it's a reminder of the stuff that we've seen here. It's a reminder daily of how to pray, what to pray for, what to be looking for in your daily walk with the Lord. If you want to be a part of that, you can text at signed KI for Kingdom Initiative 2022 to 81010. And this will be a daily reminder. You can also sign up on our website. Because ultimately, the question we have to answer is, do we believe that God is a Father who loves us? Do we believe that? And if we believe that, sometimes we forget. And so we want to, at New Life Church, help remind ourselves of that. So this kingdom initiative will be a constant reminder for all four churches as we are working together to be in line with what the Lord has for us in this year. Because we know without a doubt that the Lord is going to be moving in our communities this year. He's going to be moving in Gladstone and West Lynn and Wilsonville. He's going to be moving in the Hispanic population. And we want to be moving right along with him. We want to be right there next to him. So all we have to do is ask not go seek, not knock down doors, but instead be able to ask. And so we're trying to provide that for you. Remember, our Father loves to hear from us. He loves to delight in us asking. He loves to be a part of our lives. He is always listening. He never does any harm. He will give us good gifts. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can come to you with our prayers and you hear them. You are not distant, you're not off somewhere else in the universe, but you are right here right now. And we can bring our gifts, bring our requests to you, Lord. We can bring our hurts to you. We can bring the things that, Lord, are disappointments and you want to hear them. And then, Lord, we know, because we know you, that your response to the requests will be good. They will be wise. They will be exactly what we need right when we need it. Help us to trust you when we don't get the things we think we need. Help us to trust you when we don't understand what you're doing. And Lord, I pray that as a, as a community, as all of us together would help each other see you more clearly. Help us to do that. Lord, do that right now as we worship you. In your name, amen.